Good morning, Hope City. Please stand for the reading of God's word today. We're in Luke 14, 15 through 24. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. You may be seated. How we doing, everybody? Good? Give me a second, I'll tell you about it. Um, So thanks for being here at church, by the way. And uh, sorry I misspoke last week. I totally misspoke. I knew, I, I knew as soon as I said it, too, because I saw Katie and Andrea talking, and I was, it's always after Sadie's birthday. So thank you for that gift, though. You did surprise me. Um, so I'm excited about something we're doing. I'm going to get in the message in just a second, but I'm excited about something that we're doing uh, starting this week here at the church. Uh, out in the front lobby, we, are, we have put together a little, call it what you will, a bookstore, a resource center, whatever it is. Um, and we're doing this for several reasons. But one of the things I do love about our church is that there is a learning culture. You know, last week I saw so many of you taking notes. You do that every week. We never tell you to do that. You don't have to do that, but there is a learning culture. I love the fact that our staff and our leaders are always reading and passing around books. And we know that we serve God with our head and our heart. We don't wanna just get stuck in our head, but we also don't wanna just be all heart. And, and, and I love that, you, you know, I, I joke and people joke uh, that I, I love to read as well. And so I just started thinking about the books that I would love for you to read. Because if you were to say like, hey, can we go to coffee or whatever, you would get done talking. And then I would say, man, have you read? And I would give you a book that I would want you to go read because it would say it better than I could say it. And so uh, I went through and just picked those. And we have them out there and um, they'll be out there like indefinitely. It's not like they're just for today, Um, but they're gonna be out there. And I just wanted to just, just give you like three minutes about all of these. Okay, not about individually, but you know what I mean. So um, in no particular order, this is a book, uh, Boundaries by Dr. Henry Cloud and John Townsend. If you've never read this book, uh, Dr. Henry Cloud, Henry Cloud's brilliant. Uh, he's, a, he's a psychologist, Christian psychologist. He's written a bunch of books, but this is his best book ever. It's his claim to fame uh, about establishing boundaries in your life in all kinds of areas, when to say yes, how to say no, take control of your life. That's a great one. TechWise Family is something that all of our leaders have read. We gave it to them a few years ago by Andy Crouch about the role of technology in your home. It's not just for your kids, it's actually for you too, parents. Highly recommend that. Uh, Power of a Praying Wife. This is the book that Andrea uh, changed me with. So um, (laughs) 
She uh, has, we, I, we keep this book in print, I'm pretty sure. Uh, we've given out, we have those out there. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's, it's, it's just about the power of wives who pray for their husbands. Um, then we got a few books that are kind of in the doubt, faith, apologetic type category, which I love. This is uh, Timothy Keller's The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. This is the book that I recommend to people anytime they say, hey, I'm not sure about believing God. I've got a son or a daughter who's not sure. Uh, do you have any books you'd recommend or anything? I always recommend. It is not an easy read, but it is good. And, uh, and so that is uh, my, definitely my go-to skepticism apologetics book. Uh, another book we have, How Not to Read the Bible. I think Richard Petty, I know Richard Petty gave this to some of our leaders and then it started getting passed around and then all of our interns read it. And, uh, and so this is the great subtitle, How Not to Read the Bible, Making Sense of the Anti-Women, Anti-Science, Pro-Violence, Pro-Slavery, and Other Crazy-Sounding Parts of Scripture. Yeah, it's great. You need to read it. Um, and then my two favorite, uh, probably, I don't know, it always changes, but for real, you got to have some C.S. Lewis mere Christianity out there. Um, and so we have that. We may add a little more, may screw tape letters, we'll see. But we definitely have mere Christianity out there. Uh, enough said. And then um, Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, I, I've given out a bunch of copies of this as well. I read this last year and it was, you know, books are all about timing. You can read a book at a certain time and it's exactly what you need. And other times you're like, eh, it was okay. Timing was just right on this for me and it's been right for everybody I've handed it to. Um, great book. I'm, I'm hoping to be able to interview her for some stuff that I'm trying to do. And, um, but yeah, just, just love it. It's about how the ordinary days of your life, the ordinary moments of your life are holy and um, set apart by God. Leading into this little paperback leather copy here called Every Moment Holy. This is just a book of prayers, a book of liturgical prayers uh, about every kind of scenario that I use a lot. I mean, it's got... Um, it's got prayers for um, washing windows, home repairs, uh, waiters and waitresses, first responders, arriving at the ocean, leaving on a holiday, sunset, stargazing, morning, evening, afternoon, Monday dinner, Tuesday dinner, morning coffee, sick days. I mean, just any kind of opportunity to pray and kind of set our mind and our heart right about where, what's going on. And then we also have Daily Faith out there, which is my book, which is uh, 101 Devotions. And so, thank you very much. But don't take those. Put those out there. Um, we'll be adding to that. There'll be a few staples. Some will come and go depending on what we're preaching on. But we just wanted those out there because so often our staff, our leaders, people are coming up to us and we say, have you read this? Have you read this? Maybe you should read this. Books don't solve everything, but they're a great place to start. And so, if you don't like to read, um, I I understand, but for, I would love for you to start. And um, if not, if you do, then we'd... We'd love to add those to your library, so we set those up, okay? Nothing to do with the sermon. Just wanted to let you know about that, okay? Um, speaking of books, though, uh, in his best-selling book, Atomic Habits, James Clear um, talks about a theory called the two-minute rule. <clears throat> if my voice cracks today, it's because uh, five, six, and seven-year-old soccer has started, so a uh, little hoarse, but... Um, he talks about this theory called the two-minute rule. And basically, uh, it means that any large change you want to make in your life, like you want to run a marathon, you want to lose 25 pounds, you want to write a book, whatever it is, 
the best way to actually follow through and make that change is to start by just doing it for two minutes, just two minutes. For example, if you wanna be the kind of person who goes to the gym regularly, thank you, sir. If you wanna be the kind of person who goes to the gym regularly, then Claire says, at first, just get dressed, get in your car, drive to the gym, go into the gym and work out and exercise for two minutes, then leave, just leave. Or if you wanna write a book, then start out every day by just writing one page or writing for two minutes or uh, then stop. It's very important that you stop. You need to stop. If you wanna be someone who reads more, then open your book every day, but only read one page and then stop. This is what he says to do in the two-minute theory. Now, maybe like you are doing right now, people often roll their eyes at this concept because it feels like a waste of time. It takes so much motivation to like get dressed and get ready to go to the gym. And like, you want me to just leave after two minutes is what you're saying. Or read one page or praying for one minute or you, just making one sales call. But the point that he's making is not just to do one thing. The point that he's making is to master the habit of showing up, showing up. And the truth is a habit has to be established before it can be improved. It's got to be established before it can be improved, okay? Now, before long, if you stick with it and, and, and you really only do it for two minutes, you will instill those habits in your life. You are the kind of person who goes to the gym. You're the kind of person who reads every day. You're the kind of person who prays every day. If you will stick with it, then what's going to happen is, is that those will grow and you can perform them longer. But what's not in question is whether or not you will show up. You will show up because you're the kind of person who shows up and then you'll get better at what you're doing. What Clear is not saying is that something is better than nothing. It's not what he's saying. The plan is not to only exercise for two minutes for the rest of your life. What he's saying is start small, build consistency and then grow. If you are still only exercising or walking or reading for two minutes, then something's not right. But in your starting, don't worry about how great you need to be or how long you need to just get, just, just practice the art of showing up. And the reason I tell you about this two-minute theory is because uh, last week we started this uh, series called Change Happens Here. And I shared with you our focus and mission as a church to be a place where people meet Jesus, of course, and that's happened for so many of you, but then over time to be a place where people are deeply changed, that they don't just get saved, become a Christian, but that they are deeply changed. And, and, and this is different than just being improved. We don't want people to be improved. You will improve. But the great quote that I've used before from C.S. Lewis is that, 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 that improvement is not redemption. We, we, even though redemption does improve a man's life, in other words, yes, if you are deeply changed by Jesus, your life will improve. But we're not saying become a Christian and improve, be a little better, be a little more patient, cuss less, smoke less, drink less, be a better friend. That, that, those are all improvements. Be a better spouse. And, and you have seen those in your life. But those should be coming out of change in the person that you are. And that's what we want this place to be. We want Hope City to be a place where people meet Jesus, but then are deeply changed and have a moment by moment relationship with the Holy Spirit that makes us into new kinds of people. We don't wanna like 
begrudge it or resent it. We don't wanna hate the fact that we're following Jesus or uh, be jealous of the fact that people who are not Christians get to do things we really wanna do, but we don't get to do them. We wanna meet Jesus, be with Jesus, be changed by Jesus and become a different kind of person, a different new person. So that was last week. And this week, I wanna talk uh, about that some more, obviously, but I'm specifically gonna focus on, on you because we're not just talking about the future and we're not just talking about people out there who will show up one day. The question that we also have to ask is how can you change? If, we, if Hope City Church is gonna be a place where people are deeply changed and you're a part of Hope City Church, then how can you be deeply changed? And I mean really changed, not just improved. And the answer is simple, but it's not easy. If you wanna really be changed through a relationship with Jesus, you have to show up. You gotta show up. And I don't just mean show up to church, okay? I mean show up in the relationship. You gotta show up. You have to participate. You have to practice. Now, what's amazing about God is that God does the heavy lifting. He defeated the power of sin and death on the cross. He's filled you with his spirit and his power. He's done all of the heavy lifting. But along the way, it requires your participation. And that can't be handed off to anyone else. It's only something that can be done by you. And to be saved requires a confession of faith, but to be like Jesus requires that you practice your faith. Please hear that. It's different. To be saved, to be a Christian requires a confession of faith, but to be like Jesus, to be changed deeply by the Holy Spirit and to become a different kind of person requires that you practice your faith. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I wanna show you some data uh, that I read recently from some new research that was just done uh, by the Bible Institute. They're gonna throw this uh, image up on the screen for you, but uh, they did a study to see the percentage of Americans who have made a commitment to Jesus and are non-practicing and non-Christians, not and as in both things are true, but one or the other is true. And then they broke it down by generation. The blue are people who are non-practicing. So they made a confession of faith. At some point, they became a Christian, but they would consider themselves, or based on their behavior, they could be considered non-practicing. And, and, and I will say, just out of fairness for the study, the, the number one criteria for non-practicing was church attendance, at least once a month in person or online. And we can argue about whether that's the best gauge for practicing or non-practicing faith but we're not gonna do that today. But that 61% means that these are people who say, I do not engage with a church at least once a month in any way, is how they would say that, okay? And then the yellow or the orange, however your eyes work, there is um, people who would say, at one point I became a Christian, confessed faith in Jesus Christ, but I no longer consider myself a Christian. And so as you look at those um, stats by the American Bible Society, then you can see that at least everyone's generation, but, it, but one, at least 50% of people who at one time believed that they became a Christian do not practice their faith. And on average, about 10% of those people 
uh, no longer claim to be a Christian. So they don't practice. They no longer claim to be a Christian. But the, other, the others do. They do claim to be a Christian, but they, they, they do not engage with the church or what the American Bible Society defined as practice their faith in any meaningful ways. And the reason that I, I bring this up is because I believe it so accurately describes where so many of us find ourselves. And I do think, by the way, it is important that as you look at this generational breakdown, um, and I say this all the time, we don't have to be threatened, we don't have to be defensive, but I do think it is important that as you look at this and you see the numbers for, for Gen Z and you see the numbers for millennials, sometimes it's easy to think about like that being out there somewhere. But if you look around this room this morning or you come to the 1130 service, unfortunately, like you won't see a lot of 22, 23 year olds. There are some here, and I thank God that you are here. But in most churches in America, you're going to see a gap between younger kids who, uh, who's come to church with their family, and then people later, maybe in their 20s or early 30s, after they started having families and, and get back in church. But there is that gap where it seems like a faith is not meaningful enough or experiences have led people away. But I do think this also describes where we are and where we find ourselves. And what I mean is that we want a genuine, personal, moving relationship with Jesus. I talk to so many of you, and nobody ever says, like, I'm just, you know, I'm here, but I don't really care. Nobody ever says that. Maybe you're lying to me. I don't know. But what people say is, I know that what I'm currently experiencing can't be all there is. This is, there is something underwhelming about this. And I, 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 I want to follow Jesus. I want to be fully obedient to God. I want to practice my faith. I, I want to leave my old life behind. That, that, that overwhelmingly, this is the language that we use when you talk to me or when you talk to our leaders or our staff. We want a genuine, personal, moving relationship with Jesus but we want it to happen in spite of the life that we live and the habits that we practice and the commitments that we make. Let me say that again. We want a genuine, moving relationship with Jesus, but we want that in spite of the life that we live, the habits that we practice, and the commitments that we make. So there is this tension inside of all of us that has existed since sin entered the world where we know that the life that we have in our deepest part, in our heart of hearts, we know the life we have is not, the, is not gonna get us to where we should be and where we wanna be. But we also really kind of enjoy that life because we've trained ourselves to you know, enjoy it and it gives us the emotional rewards that we need and we know that there's something else out here. So we, we live in this tension and we say, oh God, I want a moving relationship, a deeply genuine relationship with you, but I also want the life that I currently have. And it, it doesn't work. The scripture that Skylar read for us today gives us the opportunity to know exactly what Jesus would say to those of us who find ourselves in this position, that we want to be deeply changed. We wanna be close to God. We want to have an intimate moment by moment relationship with the Holy Spirit while at the same time having the life that we currently have, the story that Skylar read, 
tells us exactly what Jesus would say to us. We don't have to guess. It tells us exactly what he would say. And he tells it in the form of a parable called the Great Feast. And Jesus tells this story. It's a parable, so it's a fictional story to prove a point, to make a point. And he tells this story in response to a specific statement that was made by someone sitting at the table. So Jesus' story is a response to a statement, and, and the statement that was made at the table happens in verse 15. Look at verse 15. A man sitting at the table. This is not a parable. This is real life. A man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. This is, this is what someone actually said. What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus tells his story. So why Jesus tells this story is very important. He tells it because he's trying to correct what so many of us believe, what this man sitting at the table believed. And in essence, what he believes, what the man at the table is saying is, and I'm paraphrasing here, won't it be awesome one day when we get to be with Jesus? Won't it be awesome one day when we get to attend the banquet, the feast in the kingdom of God? Won't it be awesome one day when we're there? Now, there's so many ironic things about this statement, but one of the ironic things is that he is sitting at the table with Jesus. Now, we don't get to do that. We do have the Holy Spirit with us. But Jesus, a man, really walked the earth, and he's at the table with this man. And this man's sitting there with God as a human. And the man says, wouldn't it be awesome when I get to attend a banquet with God? And God is sitting right there. That's ironic, but that's not the point. We read that and we go, dude, duh, it's so obvious. Like God is there. Stop thinking about one day, like you're with God, you're having dinner with God, but we do the same thing. We're tempted to believe that one day, sometime in the future, we'll finally be able to be as spiritual as we wanna be or as close to Jesus as we wanna be. And we imagine the perfect conditions or scenarios for finally being with Jesus. For a lot of people, it's heaven. Like, man, just, you know, if I can just get through this life. And there's a part of that that's real, like enduring and getting to the end. That's biblical. I get that. But there's this idea that, like, I'll survive now just so I can get to heaven. It's not really possible now, we think to ourselves. It's not really possible now to kind of, you know, really be close to God, really, you know, be with Jesus. But, man, one day in heaven it will be. For others of us, it's this romantic idea of, like, a cabin in the woods, or waking up, you know, at the beach every morning. Or come on, parents, it's when the kids are out of the house or when the schedule slows down. We imagine, all of us, we imagine this future time when we will finally be free from the things that keep us as committed to God as we wanna be. And when that time comes, we will experience God and be committed to God the way that we want to, we just can't right now. Eugene Peterson calls these imaginary scenarios utopias. We imagine these utopias free of inconvenience. 
And in response to this idea of these utopias, of this one day kind of uh, imagining when it will be, in response to this idea of how awesome it will be one day to be with Jesus, even though Jesus is at the table, the man who represents God in the story, Jesus tells this story, and there's a man who represents God in the story, and he sends out an invitation for people to come to his banquet, but every one of them turn him down. And I want you to look at the reasons that they gave. The first person said, I just bought some land and I need to go work on it. The second person said, I just bought some oxen and I need to go use them, which is, that was his tools. So in essence, he's saying, I need to go work. I just bought some new tools. I need to go work. The third person says, I just got married. First person says, I need to go to work. I just bought some land. I got to work on it. Second person says, I just bought some tools. I need to go use them. The third person says, I just got married. And they are invited to a banquet, a great banquet. Jesus is trying to make the point that this is an invitation that no one should turn down and they don't go because they find more enjoyment or fulfillment or meaning in doing trivial things. You hear me say this all the time, but it's especially true of parables. Let's don't try to read between the lines. Let's just read the lines. We don't have to look for deeper meaning. Here's the meaning. You didn't come to the banquet because you enjoy trivial things. We enjoy trivial things, not because they didn't come because they were, they did not come because they were atheists. They did not come because they were into witchcraft. They did not come because they, you know, were terrorists. They didn't come because they were managing their investments, building their businesses, and spending time with their families. To which we go, what's the big deal with that? Sounds pretty good. But this story is an indictment on you and me because it reminds us that the biggest barrier to us experiencing more of God is not bad things. It's all the good things and all the options that God has given us. And that's what's happened here in this story. And it's really easy to talk about spirituality in grand terms we talk about God changing our lives, and he does. But it's worth considering, has a relationship with Jesus even changed your schedule? Has it changed your commitments? Has it changed the way that you prioritize the hours of your day? Or the way that you manage your money? Or the what you do the first 30 minutes you wake up? Or the first 30 minutes before you go to bed? Or the way that you interact with your children? the way that you handle conflict with your spouse or your boss, or the way you use the cell phone that you hold in your hands hours on end, or the movies that you watch or the music that you listen to. Yes, in a overall sense, God is wanting to and will change your life, but the way he changes your life is by changing what you do in the moments of your day. And then you look up and your life has been changed. And we're like the people in the story. We long for transformational and, and, and transcendent experiences with God. But we hope to squeeze it in between like 7.30 and 7.45 a.m. on Tuesday, preferably. 
and we want to know him intimately, and we want to have a depth to us, but we hope to develop that depth with like one verse inspirational devotionals and social media quotes and videos on Snap. And listen, please don't hear me saying that any effort is wasted, and this is not me trying to apply shame and guilt. We are in this together. But what I am saying is that we will never find the kind of deep connection with God that we long for through social media slogans, motivational statements, and half-hearted commitment. We've got to show up. We've got to do these things. We've got to practice them. Jesus taught that the kingdom of God works like treasures that are hidden, which is annoying. Because I don't want to have to search for it. I want to just have it. Nothing sends me over the top like not being able to find the remote. Nothing. And you don't know how much you trust your family members till you can't find the remote. Where'd you put it? It's, I don't have it. Get up. Get off the bed right now. Get up out of the bed right now. You're laying on it. Right? I don't want to search for things. And Jesus says, if you want to discover the, the secrets of the kingdom, the power of the kingdom, you want to have a depth to you, you want to have a transformational experience with God, you've got to dig a little bit. You've got to work the ground a little bit. You've got to show up. You've got to practice. You got to dig and you got to search. But what's easier is to dream about one day when we'll finally be as close to Jesus as we want to be and we'll prioritize our faith. And the reason that it's easier that way is because it lets us off the hook. We are busy. We do have things going on that are important. And so we convince ourselves that the reason we're not as committed as we want to be it's, is logistical. The reason we're not as close to Jesus as we want to be, Jason, we would be, but the reason is because of logistics. But it's not logistics, it's longings. We want other things. We find more satisfaction from our new tools, from our new relationships than we do with Jesus. And responding to God's invitation is inconvenient to all the other goals and plans you have for your life. At Hope City, as we have spent time thinking about this idea of change, deep change, and, 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 and people um, being deeply transformed, we have come to the conclusion that we do not believe that something is better than nothing. Please hear that. We do not believe that something is better than nothing. And this is not a widely accepted idea, by the way, in pretty much in the industry, but especially in the church industry. Because somewhat innocently, we all assume that any effort is better than no effort at all. Or, or any Jesus is better than no Jesus at all. And that's true if you're just getting started. Jesus never raised the bar too high for anybody who was just checking it out. 
Jesus never demanded anything from anybody who was curious, who was asking questions, who was showing up, who was stuck in sin. Jesus never said, get it together, be more committed, then come follow me. But time and time and time and time again, when someone would show up who had done this their whole lives, who had information, who had things going on, they would show up and Jesus would say, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? Zacchaeus gave half, but Jesus told the rich young ruler, give everything. But he didn't ask Peter to give any money, but Peter gave his life. Peter was called Satan, but the, the, the woman caught in adultery wasn't called anything because Jesus looks at every person different and he knows where we are and he knows what we need. For those of us who are here and we would say, I've been a Christian for a while. I've been attending church for a while. I've been following Jesus for a while. We do not believe that something is better than nothing. We do not believe that just reading one verse is better than not reading at all. Or showing up once a month is better than not showing up at all. And I don't say that to be mean. I'm saying that if you've been doing this a while, that type of practice, that type of showing up is not giving you the depth and the relationship with Jesus that you want. This month, we made a decision, our staff, to stop live streaming our services. And I know that for a lot of you, that was a part of your, of your life and your schedule. And we understand that there are all kinds of legitimate reasons why people can't be at church. And it doesn't mean that they don't love Jesus. It may mean they just had surgery. <laughs> it may mean that they have to work on Sunday. It may mean that they're out of town. We, we get all of that. And that's why the sermon's available to watch right after service is over. But we also believe with a deep conviction that the kind of connection you're longing for cannot happen on the couch or through a TV or through a phone. And this is true for all of the areas of our life where God is inviting us in. And in order to get to where we wanna go, we've got to overcome the inconveniences, some that are excuses and others that are legitimate. And so we look at our lives and we realize that if we're not giving sacrificially, like financially, literally, if we're not giving the money that comes into our bank accounts, if we're not sacrificially giving in the name of Jesus, then we are not experiencing the deep joy of trusting God with our money. And there is a deep joy that can only be experienced through the practice of generosity if you're not committed to a church, you're not experiencing the deep joy of being a part of God's family because there is a deep joy that comes from the family of God that can only be experienced when you engage and practice with the family of God. If you're not serving, you're not experiencing the deep joy of sacrifice for someone else's well-being. And there's a deep joy that comes from sacrifice for someone else's well-being that can only be experienced when you do it, and it becomes a part of your life. If you're not praying, you're not experiencing the deep joy of God's abiding presence, and there is a deep joy from God's abiding presence that can only be experienced when you show up to the place and practice prayer. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not mad at you. While Scholar was reading the scripture, I was standing by Sadie, and I said, Sadie, I, I was talking to myself. She was trying to eavesdrop on my conversation with myself. And um, I just said, don't be mean, don't be mean, don't be mean. I was reminding myself because, man, I hope you don't hear me being mean. I'm talking to myself. 
I'm not mad at you. You're not in trouble. This isn't a passive-aggressive sermon because somebody's been slacking. Okay? Don't you hate that when the preacher, like, preached to two people because something happened that way? Um, what I'm saying to you is we want this to be a place where people are deeply changed. But there are no gimmicks. There are no hacks. There are no workarounds. There are no shortcuts. You're never going to experience a deeply personal relationship with the Holy Spirit moment by moment if you're not actually showing up in those moments and practicing your faith day by day. And there's no one else who can do that for you. I can't preach enough to overcome that. I can't counsel enough to overcome that. You can't read enough habit-forming books to overcome that or listen to enough worship music to overcome that. You gotta show up and you have to practice your faith. So I'm gonna end in just a second and the team's gonna come back. What about Andrea leading worship today? Yeah, and come back and sing. But um, my two favorite worship leaders sitting right beside each other right there. Um, Andrew's gonna come back, but, but here's what I wanna say as we get ready to close, we're gonna have communion and prayer. And, but the easiest thing to do in moments like this like the one you're sitting in right now and the preacher just took 30 minutes to like not so gently tell you to get with it. The easiest thing in the world to do is, is shame and guilt. And man, churches are so good at shame and guilt. So the easiest thing to do right now is for you to be like, you're so right, you are so right, I gotta do better, I gotta do better, I gotta do better. Man, I've been sucking at this and I just gotta do better. I'm waking up at 4.30 tomorrow morning. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. I'm waking up at 4.30. You won't, okay? And if you do, you'll be miserable all day and then you'll be mean to people and that's not what you wanna do, okay? What happens to us is because of the shame and the insecurity and the scarcity in our life, we hear something like this and we say, I don't wanna feel this tension that I'm feeling, this despair that I'm feeling right now, this disorientation that I'm feeling right now, I don't wanna feel like this anymore. So I'm gonna be the greatest Christian ever starting tomorrow. That's not what's happening. What's happening in this moment is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is giving you an invitation. Yeah. Invitation, not manipulation, okay? The Holy Spirit is calling you. If there's something inside of you that says, I want that, that's not shame, that's not guilt, that's not condemnation. That is an invitation from the Holy Spirit saying, come here, you can have it, you can have it. You can have it. Let's show up tomorrow. Let's show up the next day. Let's show up the next day. Let's look for the moments where we can interact with the Holy Spirit. Let's look for the moments where, where, where we know God is with us. You can have it. Man, you're gonna fail, you're gonna fall. I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna fall. But that invitation is still there. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I'm gonna give you rest. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna teach you a new way of life. My burdens are easy. My yoke is light. Jesus is saying, you're invited. I'm sending out the invitations to the feast and the banquet, and you are invited. And if you wanna come, you can come. He's not mad at you. I'm definitely not mad at you. This is no condemnation. This is invitation. You can start today 
to experience Jesus the way that you know in your heart of hearts you believe is possible, but you've just been on the fringes. And this will be a place, Hope City Church will be a place where we will keep constantly teaching you, nudging you, and sometimes outright pushing you to experience him in the way that you can. No more underwhelming Christianity. We want a deeply personal relationship with Jesus, okay? I'm gonna pray for us, and then the team's gonna come. God, thank you for Jesus, a skin and bone, flesh and bone representation of you on this earth. That you're not a distant God off somewhere with theories, but that you showed up in, in, in flesh to show us what it looks like to live like, and we can be like that. We can, we can be like Jesus, not all the way, but we can. And so God, I pray that you would today give us that courage and that longing, the only, only the Holy Spirit can give us to, 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 to accept your invitation. to know you in a deeply personal, rewarding way, to lay down the the trivial things in our life that have convinced us are are so important. It's keeping us from you, God. I pray that we would have a moment-by-moment relationship with the Holy Spirit, day-by-day, led by you, following your leading. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.